Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans, with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host. Well, hi, everybody. How are you? I hope you're good. How's your sleep? Mine's about the same. I've been keeping you posted on my sleep journey. And uh, if you are struggling and you want to try something that was really helpful to me, check out Stellar Sleep um, and you can get a really nice discount. You can go to stellarsleep.com slash GTO. I'm getting my uh, I'm getting my five and a half hours of core sleep, sometimes six, sometimes a little more than six. And you know what? Just like the research says, it is enough. And what has made a huge difference is that I don't get upset about it. Oh my God, I didn't get enough sleep. It's going to be a horrible day. I'm going to feel terrible because that really, <laughs> that makes it that makes it a lot worse. So I've changed my relationship with sleep with stellar sleep. If you have anything that you would like um, for me to promote a product, a service, a business on the show. I would love to work with you. You can find me at Voice America and at my website, giraffetangooctopus.com. You can find me across social media at GTO Coaching and on TikTok at Coach Kirsten. And at the core of everything we do is our relationship with ourselves. So whether it's your work, your relationships, your health, I am here to help you um, start your journey to change. Okay. We have a super fun show. If you've been listening to the show, you know I love to talk about food and our relationship with food. And we have a fantastic guest, Dr. Nina Savelle Rocklin. She is a psychoanalyst, author, and radio host, a globally recognized expert in the field of eating disorders. She's written four books and more than 50 articles. She hosts the Dr. Nina Show, Outsmart Emotional Eating on LA Talk Radio and The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina on Voice America. She founded The Binge Cure Method and is dedicated to helping people worldwide overcome binge eating and heal their relationship with food. Dr. Nina, welcome to Freedom for Humans. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So we were talking just before we got started, you are quite busy. You have a lot of things going on. So you have joined Voice America recently and um, you're doing the binge cure. Yes, my best-selling book, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating, um, it, it has resonated so much with so many people that I, I really wanted to bring it to um, an even wider audience and let people know that there is hope that, you know, it's not about willpower. It's not about control. It's not about addiction. It really isn't even about food. And I'm quite passionate about spreading the word of what it is about and that you can actually get past it and get over it for good. That's why I believe in liberation and not in recovery. Aha. Gotcha. We'll get into that later. Yes, we can. I, I, I have experience with all of it. I have experience with recovery and I also have experience with liberation, which I didn't think I would ever, I didn't think I would ever experience that in this life. And um, there is a difference I find. Absolutely. Recovery is 
every day. Well, I guess we're going to talk about it now. Let's talk about it. So, reco- recovery. I mean, re- recovery is waking up every day and saying, I'm going to be good. And I'm going to think about what I'm going to eat and what I'm not going to eat. I'm going to make good choices. I'm going to, and it's always on your mind and it, and it, and you're always in recovery, but liberation is waking up and thinking about your day, not your diet. Liberation is saying, hey, you know what? I used to do that, but I don't even think about it anymore. I eat what I want. I make healthy choices naturally, and I'm at a a healthy weight organically, and it's not on my mind anymore. It's like, like, you're not in recovery from depression. We say, oh, I used to I used to struggle with depression. Now I, now I'm better. I'm good. As opposed to, um, or I was depressed for a period of time, or I, I was going through something for a period of time and now I'm not liberation is I it's in my rear view mirror. And then you can actually live your life and not just exist it mentally calculating, you know, fat grams and, and calories and what you're going to weigh and all the things that, you know, we think about when we're struggling with food one way or another. Yes. The metrics, I call them all the metrics that we either apply to our bodies or to the food itself. And, uh, yes, being free of the metrics has been, oh boy, true, true freedom. So I'm curious, can you talk about how you um, came to do this work? What your what led you to this? You know, uh, when I first did my uh, when I when I was an intern and I did my first group for women struggling with binge eating disorder, I walked into the room and one of the one of the women, they hadn't met me. It was like a clinic. So they signed up and they met me for the first time when I walked into the room. And one of them said, so what does a skinny bitch like you know about binge eating? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we got a couple of skinny bitches sitting here. I think that know uh, <laughs> uh, volumes about binge eating, I'm going to guess. Exactly. <laughs> so what she didn't know was I once considered myself the poster child for, for eating disorders, including binge eating, which was the primary thing. What I said was, Hey, this skinny bitch once scarfed down an entire box of gingerbread cookies in about 15 minutes flat. And I hate gingerbread, but I couldn't (laughs) stop eating those cookies. (laughs) And I told the group that when I was five years old, I came to believe that if I were thinner, if I somehow had skinnier legs, for some reason it was specific to my legs, Mm. if I had skinnier legs that I would somehow be better. And this began my, my journey into eating disorder hell. So by the time I was an adolescent, you know, everything in my life was about numbers. Every page of my journal was numbers, calories. I ate calories. I burned the weight. I was the weight I was going to be one day. And if I was hiking with friends, I wasn't thinking, Oh, this is such a beautiful day. And what a wonderful experience. Oh no, no. I was busy calculating the metrics. So I was always on some crazy restrictive diet. Eventually my willpower would fail and I would eat the kitchen and sometimes I would purge. That's why I was the poster child for eating disorders. I had them all. And when I was uh, uh, in college, I finally went to therapy for anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I talked to my therapist about all the things like guys and goals and dreams and fears and everything in my life except I never told her what was going on with food. She had no idea 
that I was the poster child for eating disorders. And when I left treatment, I all my eating disorders were completely gone, never to return. And not once, not a single time had I ever talked about food. And people say, how is that possible? How do you get over all eating disorders without talking about food? And I, I said, because food was never the problem. It was actually the solution to the problem. In my case, the problem was my critical relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. I was perfectionist. I couldn't yep. do anything right. I And, and I, I was just nothing was ever good enough. And focusing on food, eating, purging, binging, all the things, it was really an escape from my own mean voice. And when I changed my relationship with myself, when I turned my critic into a friend and uh, you know all that that entails, that's when everything changed with food. And by the way, why at age five did I suddenly come to think that I was too big? Well, mm -hmm. my college, my, my parents are both college professors and I was a normal kid. I was not a serious academic, you know, kid because I was five years old. Well, and, how are you? I know. How are you supposed to be a serious academic well, kid at five years old? Uh, Shouldn't you be coloring? My brother, and... my brother was. My brother um, was. Very, okay. Like, you know, learning to read at two and a half, head buried in a book all the time. But I was always being told, hey, you're too loud. You're too emotional. You need to calm down. You, you're, you're, you're too dramatic. And so the message was, you're too much. Mm -hmm. And my five-year-old mind, five-year-olds are very concrete, after hearing this for five years, took that as you're literally too much. And so my five-year-old mind went, oh, if there were less of me, maybe I would be more uh, acceptable. Yes. And so both of these experiences really point to the psychology of eating disorders. It is, you know, it's not what you are eating that is the problem. It is what's eating at you. Yes. And that's the work. Yes, I I agree. Um I remember coming home, I, I started to, you know, I was always a little compelled by food. I mean, you know, certain types of food. So I was always a little bit excited about food, but around 10, I be, you know, I started to walk home and be by myself uh, after school. And there were a number of hours before anybody came home. Um, and I was afraid. Um, I was lonely and I was scared. And in my family, it's not like it's it's somewhat similar in that, you know, the standard really, it was a pretty stoic, it was a stoic family and you really didn't show a lot of weakness and I didn't want to have any needs. I didn't want to say I was afraid. I didn't want to say I didn't want to stay by myself after school. You know, I wanted to be the perfect, good child. And so I began to eat um, and I literally wore a, a, a spot in the carpet where I laid in front of the TV. So it, it mine became food and TV. They kind of went hand in hand. So I laid in front of the TV and ate and ate and ate. And I had this way of taking some of everything so that you couldn't really tell how much I had, had eaten. And boy, once that started, once that use of food to kind of treat or quell these uncomfortable feelings that I had began, it kept me in its grips um, pretty much the, you know, for the next 40 or so years. Yes. So the problem 
wasn't food. The problem was you felt lonely, you felt scared, you had no language for that. You had couldn't trust anyone to um, respond to you. You couldn't even respond to yourself. And of course, once once you deal, once you change your relationship with yourself, then everything changes, and that's liberation, right? Indeed. Now you found that relatively early in your life. You said that r- around college you went to therapy. Is that what you said? Yeah, but I had struggled since I was five. Wow. And I mean, I I remember being in, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, and I was constantly aware of what I was eating or looking at other kids and thinking, you know, is she skinnier than me? People used to call me skinny as as an insult. And little did they know that I just (laughs) loved it. You were inside going, ha ha. Yes, I am. And then, I mean, my weight fluctuated terribly. And oh my gosh, I mean, it was, it was, it was always on my mind. So for 15 years, I, I, I really, my entire childhood was uh, just bound up in eating disorders. Wow. But you've been liber- you've been liberated a long time. Um, I think that's, that's wonderful. I think your story is so important. Um, I've been, I've been free for about three years and I spent, you know, 10 to 50 pretty much, um, in the grips of food in some way. So I did, I did a really structured 12 step recovery with food. So about 17 years of that time, I was not what we call in the food or in the bulimia that I had, but I spent a tremendous amount of time and energy thinking about food, planning my food, staying on the program, reporting errors, you know, reporting to a sponsor, all the things that are built into that program, which while I was in it really felt life-saving to me because it kept me out of the bulimia, but, but I didn't understand. I did not understand. I thought it was the food. And so I did not understand or maybe believe that I could heal something underneath that and that this need that I had for the structure of that program would just naturally leave. It would naturally go away. I mean, for, for my eating disorder to literally have gone away, just like you, just like you described, it feels like a miracle. It feels like a miracle, but it it's, it's not, it's what happens when you get to know yourself and learn how to respond to yourself and and stop being so stoic and mm-hmm. learn learn how to express uh, emotions and respond to ourselves and it sounds so simple but we you know we live in a society that says hey don't have feelings mm-hmm. you know if you're if you're mad oh you 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 need an anger management class like you're an angry person or if you're sad oh you're depressed you know take a pill um if you're anxious same thing take a pill so and of course, some people do benefit from medication, but I'm talking about like prohibitions against our basic human emotions that connect us to ourselves and each other. And if we don't have a way to identify, express, and respond to ourselves when we have feelings, which are just reactions to situations, mm-hmm. then what do we do? We have to cope in some way. And yep. that's why binge eating disorder or really any kind of eating disorder or any addiction, really. I did a, I co-edited a book called Beyond the Primal Addiction. And the premise is that all addictions at their core are coping mechanisms to deal with um, your internal world. 
And that by changing that and changing your relationship with yourself, it sounds so simplistic, learn how to respond to yourself, but it's Mm -hmm. not because we're not taught that and we don't know that. And everything in our culture is about, hey, don't have that feeling or turn it into something good. Look on the bright side. I mean, toxic positivity and all, it could be worse. And, uh, you know, all all of these things are just ways of dismissing ourselves rather than honoring our truth and learning new ways of being with ourselves. Yes. And then we miss out on the opportunity to be compassionate. There's no space for compassion when we're trying to cover up what we feel or perform or act as if or be perfect or try to meet the standards or because we're afraid of what other people will think of us if we show our real selves. There's no space for love and compassion in there. All the energy goes to kind of the image and maintaining the facade and meeting the standards and inside we suffer. Yes. And to compound matters, we all live in diet culture and diet culture and wellness culture is a $60 billion industry that's predicated on, hey, if you lose weight, you will be a better version of yourself. You You will will be more valuable will be more valuable. Oh, and by the way, when you lose weight, you'll lose the parts of yourself you don't like. So if you're shy and you don't like that, guess what? You'll be outgoing. If you don't have a lot of friends, guess what? You'll suddenly be a social butterfly. It sells us the illusion by that by losing weight, we change our lives. And uh, you know what, what happens is, of course, you lose weight and you're still you, just lighter. And that becomes unbearable. We have to find a way to be with ourselves because what a great superpower that would be like, oh, I just lose weight and I change, I become the best version of myself or I lose weight and I get other people to like me more. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's not reality. So you mentioned diets and, um, I, I do want to ask you about why diets fail and also because diets are so pervasive or food plans, or I don't know. I mean, I think they go by any number of names now. Can you just talk a bit about what is a diet? Like, what are you talking about when you say, what do you, when you say diet, and then let's talk about why they don't work. Well, when I'm saying diet, I'm really referring to a weight loss diet. I'm not talking about your, the, your diet, as far as what you are eating. Like I'm talking about a weight loss diet. So diets fail because on some reason, uh, on some reason, my mind is getting ahead of myself. My, my words are getting ahead of my mind. Uh, Diets fail because uh, on some level, they are about deprivation. And that always leads to overeating or binging because the anticipation of not being able to have what you want will only make you want that thing more. And if you're thinking all day about not eating something with a carb, not eating pizza, not eating cookies, not eating ice cream, not eating chips, and you've got food on your mind all day. And that puts the focus on what you are eating or not eating instead of why. So diets work, weight loss plans, diets, whatever euphemism you choose, they work, but they're not sustainable. And then they also lead to this good food, bad food dichotomy. Like I'm being good Dismoralizing. Mm-hmm. I'm being good if I'm eating salad, but I'm being bad if I have the pizza. And so they also affect the way you think about yourself. 
So diets also fail for, for physiological reasons because they are restrictive in some way, leads to a slower metabolism, leads to fewer, you know, if you're having few, fewer calories, your metabolism becomes more efficient. So it requires fewer calories to, you know, keep your blood flowing and your heart beating and all the things. And so when you go off the diet, you gain weight more easily because now your body needs fewer calories just for maintenance. So this is why it's really called a, the diet binge cycle. But from from my perspective, which is the psychology of eating, they they ultimately fail because they only deal with food. They focus on what you're eating, not why, and they distract you from being able to eat intuitively, from knowing what your body needs. They tell it's like they they tell you what you should or shouldn't have, and they don't address the underlying reasons that make you turn to food in the first place. Like for you as a child, eating because you were scared, lonely. You know, maybe you were filling a void, anesthetizing yourself, all the things you were doing. If you were on a diet, you'd only be thinking about what you were eating, not learning how to deal with loneliness, emptiness, fear. Um, and there's so many reasons people use food as a way of coping. People, mm. people tend to think of emotional eating as, oh, I had a bad breakup. You know, where's the ice cream? And it can be that, but it's also... Um, eating to get away from your own critical voice, as in my case, mm-hmm. eating to to kind of um, go numb, to comfort yourself, to fill a void symbolically, to uh, turn em- emotional pain into physical pain. So many people say, oh, my God, I was eating so much and I was in pain. My stomach hurt so badly and I couldn't stop. I'm such an addict. Like, no, you're not an addict. You're converting emotional pain to physical pain because physical pain is easier to deal with than emotional pain. And also just the cycle of dieting and then going off of it and gaining weight, it causes frustration, anxiety, helplessness, powerlessness, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a way of coping with those feelings, you're going to use food. So dieting doesn't help you with any of that. And it keeps you in a perpetual battle with yourself. Uh, the last thing I'll say about dieting is what I'll I'll leave the last word to Taryn Brumfit, who in the movie Embrace says, never trust a four letter word where the first three letters spell die. (laughs) There you go. I'm curious. I want to know your opinion um, on cheat days. Like, so when there's so many food plans and diets and somebody will say, oh, but that was my cheat day. Or that's my cheat. Okay. You're, it, yeah. So for everyone, Dr. Nina is shaking her head and I've talked to you all a number of times and said, who are you cheating? Are you, are you not only just cheating yourself? Like, I don't understand if you have to have a cheat day, then how is this, how is this a sustainable way to eat? And you're on a diet. Look, my daughters, my kids, um, my, my youngest one is 15 years old and she was raised. They were both raised yo, you're hungry. Do you want some, you know, carrots and hummus or do you want some cookies? Do you want, I would give them two choices. Do you want, you know, a banana with peanut butter or do you want um, a piece of pizza? Like, And so why did I do that? Because I wanted them to be food neutral so that they could tune into what they felt was right for their body. And sometimes they'd say, 
you know what? I do want the cookies. And a lot of times it was, no, I actually want the carrots and hummus because they didn't have a value on food as if it's this forbidden thing. You can't have it. It's a treat. It's whatever. It was just, it was just a different choice. And so they could say to themselves, hmm, no, you know, I feel like this. And that when you are intuitively eating, which I do not believe you can do until you deal with the emotional part of it, with the relational part of it. But once you are able to eat intuitively, you can tune in and say, what am I hungry for? And by the way, it's not cheating. As you said, who are you cheating? It's not cheating to have cookies or something. It's called eating normally. You know, that's called normal eating. You know, we all have a few, a dessert once in a while or mm-hmm. some cookies or whatever. It's, it's not cheating. It's called eating. And, you know, I, I thought intuitive eating was a myth because I had never been able to do it, but I had never been able to do it because I had not healed what was underneath. And so I did sort of dismiss it and say, oh, well, you know, other people can do that and that's fine for them, but that's never going to work for me. And I really believed that it was never going to be for me. And, and now I, I literally just, you know, yes, there are certain things I don't put in my body for certain reasons, which is my choice. Um, but outside of that, I think, Hmm, what do I feel like eating? What have I had today? Do I need some protein? Hmm. doesn't, do I need some fruit? Like I just kind of, that's, I just ask myself a few questions and then I go ahead and eat and I bump up against a really sort of subtle physical message that I'm satiated. I'm not like full, full, but just like, oh, okay. And then I move on with the rest of my life. <laughs> I and, mean- it, and it is possible. And there's, there was a time where you thought that would be impossible. There oh. was a time where I thought that where it was impossible. It was impossible. But when you heal your relationship with yourself, it you no longer need food to cope. Eating is a binge eating, emotional eating, any kind of eating disorders. It is a frenemy. It does something for you, mm-hmm. but it, it, it helps you cope. It distracts you. It, hel- it helps you in some way. It soothes you, comforts you, all the things I mentioned earlier. But of course, it also hurts you. It hurts your body. It hurts your self-esteem. And it, it, yep. it's more of a, an enemy than a friend. But when you can find new ways to replace the friend part, you don't need it to cope. And it just becomes something you used to do, binging. And now you're just thinking about breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. Yep, exactly. Uh, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about how to recognize um, what the kind of hidden motivation might be for your emotional eating. We're going to talk about why nighttime eating. And I'm really, I'm really interested to hear about this from you, why nighttime eating is such a problem. Um, And then just some practical steps um, to really kind of stop the madness and heal your relationship with food. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. 
you can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Get Unchained. Tune in every Wednesday for Unchained TV on the Voice America Variety Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Unchained TV, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. We are here with Dr. Nina talking about um, binge eating and how you can actually leave it in the rearview mirror. Um, and begin to intuitively eat. So um, let's talk about how to recognize um, what the hidden motivations are. So for instance, if somebody's listening and they're they're in a they're in the cycle, they're in the binge cycle, um, they're in this that sticky, sticky pattern, and they are they have that that very strong, compelling desire to eat. And they've, said to themselves, they're not going to do that, that they're going to eat differently because they know this behavior is harming them. As you mentioned before the break, it soothes us and then it harms us. Um, it sort of is nice to our face and then it punches us in the back <laughs> kind of sort of, um, what might somebody do to try to understand what is underneath that? Um, yeah, before they may be, and I'm curious to know too, maybe a two-part question. Do you, do you recommend people try not to reach for the food or that they try to kind of figure out what's going on, even if they go ahead and reach for the food? Yeah, I, I reframe what success is instead of, um, and I tell people, I'm not taking away your binge eating. You're going to give it up on your own, but you're going to give it up when you're ready. Um, but I tell people that the, the definition of success initially, it's not, you know, not eating. It's not, it's not, no, I, I wanted to binge and I didn't. Cause that's impossible that, that there's a whole cycle of, of change and it's impossible to do that's willpower. I tell them just being curious and figuring out why you did it. That is success. Now that can be hard because we get so fast at, at going to food that we don't even know we're being triggered. We think we're being triggered by the food. Let me, let me give you actually an example. And then I'm going to answer your question as to, well, what do you do when you go so quickly to food? You don't even know what is triggering you. Mm -hmm. um, and the example is this woman named Jenna, not her real name. That's the name I use for her. So Jenna, Jenna came to me and she said, Hey, Dr. Nina, maybe some of your other people, maybe they're, they're emotionally eating, but she tells me she's a food addict and she can prove it. So hmm. I said, oh, well, do tell. 
yes, I was a little snarky. <laughs> tells me, <laughs> tells me that the night before she'd had a perfectly good day at work. Everything was fine. Nothing was bothering her. Nothing was on her mind. She was chilling back, Netflix and chilling, watching TV. When suddenly, as she put it, Ben and Jerry's started calling her name. She's like, calling my name. I'm addicted to Chunky Monkey. I said, well, wait a minute. What were you watching on TV? She tells me it is her favorite guilty pleasure, Charmed. And so since she is doing something she enjoys, there is no reason, or so she thinks, that she'd want to down a pint of ice cream. I said, well, what was the episode about? She's like, oh, well, it's that episode where this demon comes down. They break the bond between the sisters and everything goes chaotic into hell and they all start fighting and it's terrible. And I said, oh, sisters fighting, huh? And she looked at me and went, oh, <laughs> oh my God. Because in that moment, she realized that she had a terrible relationship with her sister. Watching the show activated feelings about her sister and their relationship that were untenable to her that she did not know how to handle. And so she went straight to ice cream for comfort and distraction. So had we been, had we said, okay, next time Ben and Jerry's calls your name, here's what you do. Brush your teeth, go in a walk, journal, da, 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 da. We wouldn't have helped her at all because we were focusing on the solution, not the problem. The problem was that she got activated and it, it, it activated her sister stuff and she got triggered because of her sister stuff. So what do you do if you don't have me to talk to, to help you figure it out? Mm -hmm. So in, in the years that I have been doing this work, exclusively treating people with eating disorders with one exception, but her daughter had an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So I have, I have discovered that what people choose to eat when they binge says a lot about their hidden emotional triggers. And so Jenna turned to ice cream. So the first category is actually smooth and creamy foods. I, I call this the food mood formula. Smooth and creamy foods are associated with a need for comfort. And so if smooth, creamy foods, ice cream, yogurt, whatever are your things, some people even say, well, I just have to have smooth peanut butter, you know, whatever. If it's smooth and creamy, think about, you know, other ways to comfort yourself that, that, that doesn't have to do with, that don't have to do with food. Mm -hmm. Another category are filling foods like bread, cake, <laughs> burgers, muffins, whatever, anything that kind of takes up space within us. Those foods are associated with filling a void loneliness, emptiness, filling some kind of a void. And if those are your go-to, then you want to look at other ways to deal with loneliness, other ways to fill the void. Look at what are the holes in your life and find new ways to fill them. And the last is crunchy. Anything mm -hmm. that makes us bite down hard, chips, crackers, pretzels, what have you, anything that gives us a crunch, that's associated with forms of anger. So frustration, irritation, annoyance, rage. The, the idea is to find new ways of expressing anger without then do, you know, doing it through food. And people often say, well, what about chocolate? What about candy? Well, chocolate actually fits into the food mood formula 
which is it's people either like uh you know milk chocolate which is a little bit like creamy creamy mm-hmm. or or um dark chocolate which is a bit crunchy or with nuts crunchy mm-hmm. and candy is like maybe you need more sweetness in your life and by mm-hmm. the way this food mood formula is a tool to help you discover you know your hidden why you're turning to food it only applies when you're using food to um, change the way you emotionally feel. So this is not like if you have some chips with your your sandwich at lunch, that is not the same as eating a family size bag of Doritos and hating yourself with every bite. So the food mood formula specifically applies to those bingey feelings. Okay. I As you were explaining that, I uh, there was a a diet. I was on a diet at one point. And like you mentioned earlier, it worked. I'm I'm making air quotes, everyone. It worked, of course, until it didn't, because everything works until it doesn't, because we can't sustain it usually. And so the way that I coped with being on this diet, which was working, meaning I was shrinking and people were being nice to me about it and making me feel accepted, which is what I was, you know, constantly in search of. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I acceptable now? I started eating these massive bowls of popcorn, crunchy, and I was spraying that, um, I can't believe it's not butter chemical stuff on it, that literally leaves a film, an indelible film on the bowl. Like there, I don't know what is in it, but it's not really food. Um, And so I was using that to fill my, sort of to fill my body and to cope with being on this diet and of course being uncomfortable, because of all the things that were going on inside of me. And as you were talking about that, I thought, well, I was pretty mad. (laughs) If I, if I really look back and I really look at my life during that time and the marriage that I was in and all that stuff, I must've been super pissed. Yeah. It, and often I get the question of, well, you know, but I, I just eat whatever's in the kitchen. I say, okay, but what do you choose first? What do you choose first? Mm -hmm. And if you have to have ice cream with um, crunchy stuff in it, then maybe the primary need is to express you need need comfort. But the secondary is you've got some frustration going on. So that Mm -hmm. is one way that you can start to identify that. And then you just use that. You you crack the code of emotional eating through this food mood formula and say, okay, um, now I know that I this is what I need. And then you can start addressing that that is success rather than I didn't eat the thing because I've had people who've had gastric bypass surgery, like serious weight loss surgery. And they've lost 200 pounds, hundred pounds, 150 pounds. And they come to see me when they are well on their way to gaining it back because they yep. thought they had found the Holy grail. And then they realized, Oh, it was never about food. They, they never changed the way they related to themselves. Exactly. And so I think also what you're describing is to, I'm, I, I'm, I didn't know what you were going to say when I asked you about, you know, do, whether they eat, whether the person eats or doesn't eat. I, I typically encourage people to like, okay, so you ate. Okay. Like be good to yourself, be compassionate to yourself about it, and then have a conversation about, well, what's going on? Like what's really going on for me right now that, you know, I, I, that really wasn't what I wanted for myself. And now I feel icky. I feel icky in my body and I feel bad about myself. All the things we know happen, right. When we eat in a way that really doesn't reflect, 
um, kindness, really kindness to ourselves and the sort of health maybe that we want to have. It really is about stopping and having a conversation about that, a, a compassionate conversation, something that if you think about the person, somebody that you love in your life, how would you talk to them? If they were saying, oh, well, I ate ice cream and I ate the chunky monkey and I feel horrible and I feel fat and I feel disgusting and I'm such, you know, I'm such a loser and why can't I get like, like, how would you talk to that person that you love? You wouldn't say shame on you for eating that chunky monkey. Exactly. You would say, well, well, what's going on with you? What's, yeah. And this is why eating at night is a problem because at night during the day we're busy and we're not thinking about or feeling the things that we don't want to think about or feel. And at night we're generally less busy, less occupied. And that's when these thoughts come in and we generally are not treating ourselves the way we would treat a friend. We try to shut off our minds. We get mad at ourselves. We, we don't want to look at it. It's certain things we don't want to, we don't want to look at, maybe what's making us upset, angry, empty, or sad in our lives. So instead, we distract ourselves by eating or thinking about food or you know, all of the things. And then we often displace, like say you're mad at your boss, but you can't say to your mm-hmm. boss, oh, you're on my last nerve. Mm-hmm. And, but you also don't know how to process your anger. So you can eat a bunch of food at night often, after dinner, after a day of eating perfectly, nighttime, it all goes south. Then you can take that anger that really belongs to your boss or partner or whoever or whatever, and then attack yourself. So it's displaced onto yourself. And that's Mm -hmm. why the key to not eating at, not binging at night is to learn new strategies of, you know, responding differently to yourself. Okay. Nighttime was always uh, quite dicey for me actually. And when I was married, my husband at the time um, tended to work swing shift, which when he would, you know, he changed jobs routinely. And I would always encourage, oh yeah, you should take that. Sw- hmm. You should take that swing shift job. Yes. Oh, you love swing shift. Hmm. That's much better for you because I wanted to be alone with my food. I wanted to be alone with my food. I wanted to binge in private. I wanted to feel free to do that. So just like you described, I would eat, not perfectly, I wouldn't say, but I would eat, and I'm going to use air quotes again, everybody, normally um, during the day where you know it was visible and people could see me. And then I would uh, binge my head off and I was bulimic. So I would then purge it because I was terrified about, because uh, I've been all kinds of sizes. Uh, and so I was always terrified about my body being bigger. And like you mentioned earlier, thinking, yeah, if I could just take up a little bit less space, that would, yeah, that would be much better. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think a lot of people probably struggle at night and, and, and I wonder if you've heard this, I'm guessing in your, in your practice over these years, um, do people tell themselves, well, I deserve it. I've had such a hard day. And I did X, Y, Z, and I just deserve this, even though what they're doing is not, it's not creating happiness. It's not creating joy and it's causing harm. Some people, and that's the other thing is everyone does it for different reasons. 
You know, some people reward themselves. Other people just want to shut off from their own minds. It mm-hmm. feels like you're just addicted to whatever it is that that that's in the, the kitchen or the drive-thru or, or whatever. But sometimes it's about deprivation. Sometimes it's a wa- about coping. And it's, sometimes it's a, about expressing something you don't have words for. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, in that same in that same group where the woman asked me, what is a skinny bitch like you know about binge eating? There was a woman who the whole time said, you know, I... I just, I just need to lose 20 pounds. I really just like food too much. That's my problem. That's my problem. At the the last day of the group, about 20 minutes before the end of the group, final meeting, she says, you know, I think if I were not thinking about the 20 pounds and if I weren't focused on food all the time, I might want to leave my husband. So, so often we, we, we focus on food, we focus on weight so that we won't think about other things. Mm-hmm. Yes, which just it uh, that just reminded me that my I had been with my husband 17 years, married for I think 14 or 14 maybe or 15 of that of those years. And when I got into recovery, so I when I entered that recovery um, program, I was no longer binging with him because we binged actually together. Um, he was also super cruel when I, when my weight would change. So it was an interesting dynamic. Um, but I got into that food recovery program in, in April of Oh five. And in August of Oh five, I separated from my husband. Um, there was something about the, there was sort of the last vestige almost that of something that we did together. So part of it was that. But part of it was just like, I wasn't using food as anesthesia anymore. So I was spending a lot of energy thinking about it and preparing it, you know, on the basis of the guidelines of the program. But that was very different from that sort of secret, shameful binging behavior that I was using to cope with my life. And when that went away, I couldn't, I could not be there anymore. Yeah. Happens a lot. You see what the true root problem is rather than, you know, it's like plucking a weed and thinking it's not going to grow back. That's dieting and focusing on food. You've got to get to that proverbial root, which mm-hmm. is in the dirt, in the ground. We can't see it. Just like we have, but it, it does has everything to do with growing the weed. Just like in our, we have hidden parts of our minds, our unconscious, we're in the dark about it, but it has mm-hmm. so much to do with our behavior. So changing the conversation with yourself to what it, what did I eat instead of that? Why did I eat it mm-hmm. is a really powerful first step to creating lasting change. So we want to move on and talk about practical um, steps to stop the madness. Cause I, those of you that are listening that are struggling with food or might be thinking, okay, but what do I, what do I do? What do I, okay, what do I actually do? So let's talk about that. Okay, so first just throw away your scale or put it in a place where you can't use it because a piece of metal and plastic cannot measure your value or self-worth. And if your sense of having a good day starts with getting on the scale, even if it is going in the right direction, really, it, it, it cannot measure your value. So just get rid of the scale. And secondly, here's a practical thing you can do if you 
feel that urge to to the go to the kitchen. You can I call it surfing the 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 binge wave. No surfboard required. Think about a wave. A wave builds in intensity and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and eventually it just sort of crests and it diminishes. So if you can think about hey if it's all you can think about and you can't think about, oh, I need comfort. Oh, I need this. Oh, I need that. Just, just think about, give yourself 30 seconds at first to ride that wave and know that it will crest and it will diminish. And if you could just kind of picture yourself on a surfboard, riding that binge wave and knowing that it's going to crash into the, the surf and disappear, it can make it more tenable to, to kind of just survive that moment. And then think, instead of reacting, think, identify what's going on with you, learn how to express it. So much, so many people say, oh, well, I, I expressed my feelings. I told myself, yes, I'm very angry. Like, well, that's not expressing your feelings, girl. That's identifying them. <laughs> like, express saying I'm very a- angry is is thinking trying to think you're feeling away but saying oh I'm so pissed that is feeling your feelings why do we call emotions feelings because we feel them in our bodies and mm-hmm. as counterintuitive as it sounds the only way to get rid of feelings is to actually feel them but our yes. culture says don't feel anything so give yourself permission to feel something just don't turn it against yourself and also Going back to what actually what you said, talk to yourself as if you were you're talking to your best friend. If if your best friend said, oh, my God, I ate the pint of ice cream and then I ate another. I'm so disgusting. You wouldn't say you are disgusting. That's right. You are gross. You'd say, oh, my gosh. OK, it's ice cream. Something's going on with you. Let's figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. And then and then learn to respond to yourself. And again, um, don't say it, it, it could be worse. Uh, look, I, I have it. I have it better than other people. Well, you know, I'm complaining about ice cream and people in Ukraine I don't even have to eat all that. That is dismissive. So here's my practical uh, um, response to that is I love acronyms. So I created an acronym called very, you've got to vary your response, validate, acknowledge, and reassure yourself. So if you ate ice cream or you want to eat it, it's or you realize, okay, I'm really upset. Of course I'm upset. This happened. And how else could I feel other than being upset? It's a natural response to the situation. Yes, I am upset. That's validating and acknowledging where too often people overlook that completely. Mm-hmm. And then you reassure yourself, you know what? I'm going to get through this. I've been through tough things in the past. I I have resources to get through it. I'm smart. I'm capable. This doesn't reflect me. I'm going to be on the other side of this. Right now it sucks, but I'm going to be okay and it doesn't it doesn't reflect me. And when you can do that as a response to yourself instead of beating yourself up and castigating yourself and calling yourself names, you're going to feel better. When you feel better, you're not going to use food to feel better. Okay. You said a lot in there. That was, those were some, those were some excellent practical tips and y'all can't see us, 
I threw up my hands in a silent cheer when she said, throw the scale away or put it somewhere else. So if you've been listening, you've heard me say, when you, when you are choosing what you eat, even when you're choosing what movement you do with your body, detach it from your appearance, detach it from the way your body looks. So it can purely be what it is. So your food can purely be your food. Your movement can purely be your movement so that it's not, doesn't feel like some kind of punishment because your body doesn't look a certain way and you want to make it do that or my goodness. And we're all socialized to do that. So listen, if you're doing that, you're in good company. We we're, we're all taught to do that, but we can unlearn it and not no longer weighing my body. Oh, oh, I mean, I can't tell you the relief. And you don't have to do it at the doctor's office either. When the, oh, I when don't the, ever. Yeah. When they tell you, you get on the scale, you can say, nope. I don't do the scale. And they'll say, oh, just turn around. You can say, nope. no, because they don't actually need to know your weight unless you're going in for surgery or, or need a specific medication or something. Exactly. Like, that is your- true. And, yes. and think, think of it this way. You wouldn't say, oh my gosh, I really like my friend, but I would like her so much better if she would just lose weight. Or I really like my friend, but you know what? She's gained a few pounds and now I don't like her as much. It sounds ludicrous, but that is what we do to ourselves. So yes. really noticing how much we, 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 we put our self-esteem based on <laughs> the number on the scale, it's it's terrible. Think about the the way you value other people and look at yourself through that same lens. And that, we are out of time. It went so fast. In our last 30 seconds, Dr. Nina, tell everybody where they can find you and what you're doing, what you're up to. Well, they can find me on, my, my website is Dr. Nina Inc., D-R-N-I-N-A-I-N-C.com. And through that, they can find uh, all my social media stuff and they can join my uh, Facebook community, Dr. Nina's Food for Thought community. I just released a companion guided journal that goes with my best-selling book, The Binge Cure, and it's called uh, The Binge Cure Journal, A Guide to Liberating Yourself from Emotional Eating taking control of your life and feeling good in your body. It's available on Amazon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Nina. This has been wonderful. I hope you've all heard something that will help you with your relationship with food. Love yourself, free yourself, be yourself and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.